0: And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm Perinatal Psychologist and host Dr. Kat. There is more to the story than just postpartum depression this podcast aims to share it all from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to new parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Hey there, welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. In our episode today, we are going to be talking about parental mental health and specifically factoring in fathers. Our guest, Jane Honickman, is the founder of Postpartum Support International. And since then, she has gone on to co-found Postpartum Education for Parents, co-founded the Postpartum Action Institute, and written several books, Community Support for New Families, I'm Listening, A Guide to Supporting Postpartum Families, My Diary, A Postpartum Journey from Pain to Purpose, Postpartum Action Manual, How to Provide Comfort, Encouragement, and Guidance to New Families, and her latest Parental Mental Health Factoring in Fathers, co-written with Dr. Danny Singley. Jane was born and raised in Palo Alto, California, and has lived in Santa Barbara since 1970. She has come a long way since she had her first child. She and her husband have three adult married children, eight grandchildren, and a cat. You'll be able to hear from Jane how passionate she is about making sure that we are including all persons in the family system and very especially bringing fathers and their needs to the forefront. You can find Jane's book, Parental Mental Health, Factoring in Fathers, on Amazon or on their website, factoringinfathers.com. And on their social media, at Parental Health, on both Instagram and Twitter, they are constantly sharing bits and pieces from the book, as well as a free infographic that they have on their website that you can download and share with your providers, share with your partners to let them know what father's mental health needs are during the perinatal time. So let's dig in and talk with Jane. Welcome, Jane. I'm thrilled to have you with us. Hi, Kat. Good morning. It's
1: lovely to be with you.
0: I am really excited to talk with you because you really do bring the full arc of all of the movement in perinatal and parental mental health, beginning in maternal mental health and PSI. So you, you have such a depth of knowledge and experience, and um, I'd love to hear a little bit more and have the listeners hear a little bit more about how uh, this, uh, your, your path started. Oh, it's a pleasure to uh,
1: sort of rewind my brain and <laughs> talk about the past. I love to do that. It really all begins with always wanting to be a mother and wanting to be just like my mother, who was my role model. During the 1950s, mm-hmm. and very traditional, except that she was a feminist, and I was uh, raised with a awareness that men and women should be equal, but they weren't certainly not during mm-hmm. those early years. So I was set up for going to college during the 60s and really being impacted by social change. There was so much going oh, on nice. in America, around the world, but particularly for me on the streets where I grew up and in the college I attended and I was you know sensitive to what was going on in terms of inequities and needing to make things better uh, but that fit into my fantasy still of wanting to marry and have babies and stay at home and do all of that good stuff well in the 60s I met my uh, to be husband the summer before I went overseas and to be a student in the, in Denmark. And what happened is that we did the big no-no in those days, the social uh, acceptance <laughs> of pregnancy before marriage was absolutely forbidden. So when I went off to Denmark, I was actually pregnant. And then, of course, I had to relinquish the baby for adoption, and my whole life turned upside down. But I was in, in this state of what's called denial, and the ignorance around the whole thing was profound. And of course, I did end up coming back. My boyfriend and I did get married and we went the route of the traditional buying the house and having the job and trying to get pregnant again and all of this. And we did. But then it's like what fantasies do to you is just set you up for disaster, Mm -hmm. especially when somebody like myself who's had some kind of a trauma like that and is in complete denial. I mean, they never Mm -hmm. talked about it. It was so forbidden topic, and I played along. That this our son was born in '72, our first born '66, and then we had another daughter in '75. Uh, the the environment was one of which I'm very proud to say that I participated in my community with my friends through an organization that sort of made all the difference to me uh, in terms of my career, and it. Again, my mother had been a member of American Association of University Women, and I paused to tell everybody about AAUW because it had such an impact on my life and my
2: mm-hmm. whole
1: career and what you've seen come out of you know, over the years with my work is yeah. really because of them. And my friends and I started postpartum education for parents in the 1970s. And mm-hmm. Suzanne, we were all young parents. And notice I'm going to say the word parents because we were all feminists and we did not want to just be known as mothers. In fact, we used to say, I'm not just a mother, <laughs> you know, I'm a parent. And, I, you know, the, the movement was have the fathers in the, the birth room delivery. They need to see us in labor. They need to be equals with us. And so you can see that that was sort of setting the stage. Right. for what evolved for me. It's never been just about women. It's never been about just mothers. It can't be because we know that there was a sperm that got us pregnant. Right. And right. We, we felt rather <laughs> strongly about the fact that there was, um, this change was happening. And, again, it was all happening around so many other things, just yes, childbirth education and breastfeeding and then the learning about our bodies. We had mm. no clue and during this time we were really raffle rosters, and we just mm-hmm. asked a lot of questions, and we wanted to shake it up, and we did. The starting pep, which is what I did in the seventies with my friends, set me up for an unknown trajectory. Uh, but it's right. always about adjusting to parenthood and not recognizing that there could be such a medical emergency aspect to this until we got so much publicity, and I was getting the taking the phone calls and doing the interviews with people who are journalists. And Mm -hmm. one thing led to another. And I was suddenly on the platform with psychiatric illness. And it's like, what? What happened? (laughs) I don't know. How did this happen? (laughs) But I was all about learning and taking a day at a time and loving it, uh, again, promoting the idea of peer support because none of us who started PEP had any any background in the medical field, the
2: mm-hmm. psychological
1: field, not anything like that. We in fact my background is the opposite in the sociology major.
2: Mm-hmm. So I always
1: saw this as community should get together. We can be better and stronger if we can do this together and share our experiences. So that really mm-hmm. molded me. And AAUW gave us the money. We had a grant to start PEP, oh. and then I got a grant as an individual to study what was going on in the field of postpartum education for parents around the United States. And that was the basis of my then realizing, oh, this is about families, and there's a Mm -hmm. national movement called the, it was called the Family Resource Coalition in Mm the 80s. And then I met the founders of Marseille Society. And in 1984, I was invited to talk about PEP as a community response, a system of action, it was called. Um, at their first meeting, and it was like throwing me into the <laughs> fire, den. I had no idea <laughs>
2: right, what I was right.
1: doing, who these wonderful people were, and they came from all around the world. It was held in California, so it was easy for oh, me to nice. get to. Mm-hmm. And My eyes were just so big, and I was pretty much groomed to start seeing the world of parenting in another light, and because it was scientifically generated or the the scientists were the ones who were moving us forward, I fell into trying to understand what this history of mental illness really was all about. And on a personal note, I have a, my father was bipolar and that on top of the fact that there was a lot of mental illness in the other members of the family and my own trauma is like, oh gosh, (laughs) Whoa,
0: what's going on? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Wow, so that's that's a, that's a fast learning. I mean it's an interesting <laughs> way to to kind of be introduced to and learn about all of this. And yeah. you know, even the organizations that you talked about, PEP and Marseille, are still going strong yeah. to this day. They're still out there. Lots of programs come and go, but it, it's really amazing that your foundational work with PEP, a starting PEP, and then ho- hooking up with Marseille, and then that starting Postpartum Support International is just yeah. just amazing. Yeah.
1: Well, it's not so much amazing. It's just about persistence
2: mm-hmm.
1: and understanding that it can't be about one individual. It has to be about right. forming networks and communities and learning about boards and nonprofits and moving forward mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating stuff, and it's the stuff I like to do. I'm mm-hmm. not a clinician. I think that's an advantage. I am a lived experience. That's an advantage. I'm also love love to learn, but I also am very curious. I'm kind of obnoxious. I mean, I would show up at these <laughs> meetings, and they they'd say, "What are you doing here, Jane? Why are you back?" It's like, "Yeah, well, <laughs> good actually, for you. I'm not
0: going away." <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Good. That's great. And that is, that is what it takes. I think you know, for people who are passionate about something, you know, trying to convince other people that. The, you know that your passion is is equally important, and that you need to be there, and that you should be there, and that oh, by the way, they should be passionate about it too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that's moving forward. Enough.
1: I would no. say the other word mm-hmm. is patience.
2: Patience oh, yeah.
1: and patience, because mm-hmm. nothing happens overnight. A lot of people just get discouraged and and uh,
2: mm-hmm. do
1: give up unless it's your livelihood, and that's that's a different piece of this whole movement that I didn't realize was happening, uh, but Dr. Hamilton, who was my guru, who said, to t- tell me what I should do, mm-hmm. he was impressed by what I brought to the table, which is the consumer
2: mm-hmm. peer
1: support, social support component. But he always knew that we needed to train the clinicians and, and educate the medical field. And that, mm-hmm. and that simply was his priority. And he felt the best way to do it was to get people like me bugging other people, bugging professionals. (laughs) Uh And that's exactly right. So he he, um, did that. And I always was sort of aware that he was doing all of this. And I was very close to him because he was a father figure. He was, Mm -hmm. uh, my father had passed away Mm -hmm. and he, Dr. Hamilton came in as this role model father connection for me. And it's like, Mm He even played tennis like my dad did. I and mean, it <laughs> looked like him and then all those wow. things. So there was a personal connection as well. And he lived in age 90 and mm-hmm. uh, died when we were really on a roll and doing extremely well with PSI. And the Marseille Society, of course, owes a debt of gratitude to him. And they do. They acknowledge.
2: Oh, for sure. So
1: for sure. I sort sort of got off track here. But this is a time, though, when I – you can truly say that it became all about the mother. But when I look back at the, all of the Marseille Society meetings I attended, and then when we started PSI conferences, it always, I absolutely felt it was imperative to have the father's research presented. And when I pull out the, this, the syllabus from the 1984 conference, there was a paper presented actually by an Italian who had done the work on KUVAD, which everybody needs to learn about KUVAD, and the syndrome which males during pregnancy of their partner, wife, the mother of their child, also has symptoms. And it is ancient. And people have noticed this. anthropology has documented it all. And I find it fascinating. And that the men suffer too. And that Mm -hmm. was something I was like, okay, we mustn't
0: forget the men. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Margaret.
3: And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood.
4: Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? You'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed.
0: Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. And and it's in your work and as you've Added more and more to your sort of resume of programs and, and books and whatnot, that has continued to be a part of of your work is is about right. families and the system and not just focusing on women or birthing or, or mm-hmm. the, the mother.
1: That's right, and yet I can tell you that as a, a very strong woman, I am proud to see like AAUW and the other organizations I belong to that have empowered women of mm-hmm. uh, literally since trying to get the vote um and before um that we've been very successful finally and and i'm mm-hmm. all about that however the irony is that we are now i believe doing to men what we complained about they were doing to us during the 60s and mm. then the 70s
2: yeah.
1: there's been a flip there's been a flip And yes, there's inequities still, and there's horrible abuse and and all sorts of things that we know we need to talk about. We, you know, the Me Too movement has done very well with doing that. However, men are humans, and men have feelings too. And I live with a man 50-plus years we've been married. I raised one son. I welcomed two sons-in-law into our fold. I have grandsons. I care about men. Mm-hmm. And I care about their feelings and how we, as women, step on them.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's
1: exactly what we were complaining about
2: mm-hmm.
1: as women. When I mean, I, I'm old enough to tell you that we had to use our husband's names in the paper. It was, if you had your picture of the paper in, in Santa Barbara, it had to say, Mrs. Terrence Honigman. Oh, wow. It couldn't be Jane Honigman. And we had to fight for that. It yeah. grief, you know. Right. <laughs> so now we don't do that. Right. But I hear from the men that, in fact, my my niece has just gotten pregnant. And when I spoke to her mom, the soon-to-be grandma, I said, how's it going? And has Theo been involved? Well, he wasn't allowed into the ultrasound room. What? What do you mean he wasn't allowed in? Mm -hmm. That's not true. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Then I just learned, did you know, that men's names are not required to be on birth certificates?
0: Oh, uh, yeah! I hadn't learned of that.
1: Apparently, huh. I wonder what state, the history of you know, that is. One state, one state in the United States requires it. I, know, I need to dig into this because I don't know. I just heard this on a lecture that we still view men as not important in regards to their role as father. And that's one of the reasons there's not enough research. One of the reasons that men are not participating in the research for, on paternal mental health because right. you can't find the men. You can't find the men because they're not listed. Their names are not Oh,
2: listed.
0: I see what you're saying. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That is so interesting. I really am interested in looking into that and the reasons why. I'm, yeah. I'm sure there there's a, a valid reason in there, but it, I can also, I mean, there's a lot of implications for family history yeah. and being able to track people down, but but, no, but also...
2: No
1: there's, no, there's no excuse because there's an egg and a sperm. They both need to be identified. Uh-huh. And the new. I'm also, because of my experience with adoption, you need to know who you come from. You mm-hmm. need to know mm-hmm. your father and your mother
2: mm-hmm. and
1: their their your grandparents on both sides. It's just absolutely critical as a human being to okay. know where you come from in order for mm-hmm. you to go forward. So I'm very yep. passionate about that.
2: Yeah, that. So there's discrimination going sense. on
1: against the men
0: that women are not aware of. Mm-hmm. That is fascinating, and so are you hearing a lot. Well, in your your the book that you've recently written, written, "Parental Mental Health Factoring in Fathers," is you know really driving home all of these these points that you're bringing up. What are the things that you're seeing, and that you want to make sure that people know that is happening with fathers, or that we should be changing?
1: Everything. <laughs> um,
2: okay. And,
1: yeah. and it begins by having conversations with men.
2: Mm-hmm. And I was
1: always on the lookout, as you can guess, because of my personality, for the the right man to collaborate with. I needed to find somebody who could write this book, because I am not a man. I cannot write about what mm-hmm. it's like to be a father. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. to find that gentleman, <laughs> I just you know, kept my eyes and ears open. And sure enough, I was at a meeting and I saw this little note saying we're looking for fathers to participate in research on uh, relationships with their infants. I thought, aha, who's this man? (laughs) And so uh, we fondly call it stalking. I, I, you know, track him down and I, you know, dialed in and we had this chat and and we hit it off and his name's Mm. Daniel Singley. So Dan Singley is a clinical psychologist and a researcher and a father and he focuses on men's excellence and that's his, that's his shtick. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, Dan, we need to write a book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he he rolled his eyes at me and um, (laughs) like, well, I don't know. I said, well, I'll take care of all of it. It's going to be under um, part of my other books, handle all that. But I can't, I'm not qualified. But what I am wanting to do is express my point of view with explaining about PEP, explaining about how we saw this as a, you know, family issue, new families, and parenthood, and parents, and that everybody has experiences, everyone has feelings, everybody has hormones. That's the other mm-hmm. really powerful thing. Remember, as women, we always focus on our biological systems because they're so obvious. Men, mm-hmm. not so much. And that's mm-hmm. kind of been their downfall, haha, because we don't acknowledge that they have you know, mood swings. They sure. definitely have Reactions, they they have a brain and they have an endocrine system. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's in the book. And it's a little tiny book. It's an easy book to pick up and put down. And we get feedback from the readers saying, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. I thought that. Or, gee, I didn't know that. Or, aha, Mm -hmm. I should have done that. I should know that. And it starts with what I find the most important piece that I learned from Dan is what it means to be a man. Hmm. and understanding masculinity and our attitudes and biases about what does that mean? What does masculinity mean as women? We don't take the time to figure that out. No. was the last time that came up in conversation? (laughs) Not recently. And that's the core of the book is to start understanding that. And Dan lays it out very nicely. And and, uh, this whole field of paternal mental health is around understanding these shifts from men today generally had no role models at all. I mean, right. I started this conversation by saying, my mom is my role model. This is who right. I want to be like.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Men today struggle and they call it precarious manhood. I mean, precarious fatherhood, but precarious because you're not sure where I'm fitting in with all this.
2: Right. Society sure.
1: says, yeah. Oh, like I did with my husband, you're going to be in the delivery room. You're going to see what you did to me and you're going to see this baby come out and he's going to be your baby too. Right. And you're going to change diapers.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: We have those expectations as women to make this an equal partnership, unless you're in a culture where you actually put down the man. And Mm -hmm. there are parts of the world where we have the other way around that men want nothing to do with this process and that's Mm -hmm. their cultural Progressive, and that's the place. But if we're as as women in America, saying in the west, west Western part of the world, saying no, no, the men need to be involved too. Well, we need to be a little more open about having conversations with.
0: Us. What does that mean? Right. What does that look like? Men. Right. So it's specifically if they, their the generation before them, their own fathers weren't really, potentially weren't as as involved as we are, thinking they can be or wanting them to be. That they're learning a new skill set of as they go because the yeah. previous generation wasn't as involved. And that was, I yeah. think, expected to some extent that they would just be out of the room, yeah. like you're saying. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think um, it's really fascinating too. And I can see the the shift within in my, my own life in what you're saying is, you know, after my son was born, I had a lot of realizations about how deeply emotional boys are and men are and, um, how, how my own societal, uh, kind of upbringing about, you know, what men are and who men are supposed to be. It was so much edited and and so much smaller to what their actual range is and capacity is. And I thought, gosh, I don't ever want to tell my son that he can't have feelings or that he's supposed to, you know, man up or whatever, uh, because that cuts, cuts him off from his full experience.
1: Amen. That's exactly right. And my dear son, who's now a father of three and uh, nearly fifty years old, says, <laughs> um, "You know, he owes it to me that whether right or wrong, he's a feminist
2: mm-hmm. growing up." I mean, mm-hmm. he's the,
1: um,
2: great.
1: He's, he's such a nurturer. One day after school, I probably fourth grade or so, he came in and they said to me. Mom, if I ever get divorced, I want the children, mm-hmm. I guess. Stephen, where did that come from? Uh, well, clearly there's his peers who are having divorces happening in
2: this sure, class.
1: Sure. And I don't know where his little brain went, but that, you know, he was always wanted to be, you know, father <laughs> and always wanted to be the nurturer. And he is. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and I, and my brothers were. my fa- mm-hmm. Our father was not,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: our I, my brothers are amazingly mm-hmm. interacting, and again, times have changed. And but we yeah, have yeah, to have yeah. those conversations. And I, when do we fit that into? Um, let's have a baby. Let's conceive. Now we're pregnant. Here's the delivery. Uh oh. Now what? So when do we get this opportunity to have conversations
2: about all this? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, well, I, you just insert them, <laughs> like we are now into the into the you know dialogue. It's it's super important. And to your point, I, I think that supporting father's role in the transition into parenthood is also not just about fathers. It's about the parents. It's about the system. And when everyone is taken care of, then everybody fares better.
2: Yeah,
1: absolutely. And we know that uh, it doesn't matter who raises a child, no gender and that's the other thing. We need to be more inclusive of all the. What does it look like to be a parent? Right. Uh, we we all do it the same way. We may not be doing it exactly in the same way way, but we right. are conveying the same love and nurturing, and that's what's important.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: uh, women are guilty. I certainly learned this from a pep group way back in the 1970s, <laughs> um, when a father in our group said when he was trying to do the diaper and he was being criticized, he felt it. He spoke up. How Mm -hmm. do you expect me to do it? How can I learn if you don't leave me alone and let me do it my way?
2: Mm -hmm.
0: It's like, Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. I I
0: hear that a lot. Yeah. I bet. (laughs) Oh, for sure. It's, it's, it's hard because I, you know, sometimes it's coming from a place of anxiety for let's say talking about a a male female relationship sometimes it's uh, some of the anxiety of the postpartum mom kind of being so highly worried about anybody else taking care of their child um but there is is something in there about either assuming that men don't know what they're doing or they're going to do it wrong or something along those lines that um that does you know seep into the the relationship sometimes
1: it really does and and though we um just that it's about being mindful, of course, about all of these things, but it's so, and maybe slower. I mean, that, but done, doing it your way, it doesn't mean it's the wrong way. But th- I wanted to transition a little bit into what are the signs of depression in men and anxiety sure. in men. We know that the rates are the same, approximately. Um, certainly the, the same 10%, I was taught by Dr. Hamilton and all of the Marseille Society way, way back, that it's 10% for women. Um, and now we know from the research it's 10% for men, uh, and it fluctuates, of course, and it has Mm -hmm. to do with intensity, the degree of the experience and the suffering, and then, of course, onset. Mm -hmm. And for men, we know that it's delayed for the men, uh, and we also know that the greatest risk factor for a man is if his partner, the mother of the baby, has been depressed. So we know all that. But it takes a different form, and we need to listen to what does it look like for a man to have postpartum depression mm-hmm. and the anxiety and the behaviors that come out of that. And we know that the anger, um, irritability is much more pronounced
2: for a mm-hmm. man, mm-hmm. and
1: we also need to, that wreaks havoc, of course, on marriages, and that's the mm-hmm. other thing that we have, and or partnerships, that, again, we don't have time. It would be so lovely during pregnancy, don't you think? Mm-hmm. we don't have the baby right there in front of us, outside the body, mm-hmm. um, then we can start doing some of this uh, conversation. Yeah. And yeah. I think that putting that into our daily routines, you know, okay, okay, try to talk about this. And then the baby's screaming all the time and or not. Whatever it is, who looks after the, the new father? There's no mm-hmm. doctor for the new father. Right. Uh, but there's a doctor for the family, and that's a pediatrician.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if you haven't met Mm -hmm. and heard David Levine, who's the pediatrician who finally came out, so to speak, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. about his depression post-birth of his son, it's been seven years ago or so, Um, he really has nailed it. He's done so much to finally get that lived experience out in the open. And he's more believed because he's a pediatrician. Uh, professional mm-hmm. who, 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 as he says, I should know. Well, I didn't know
2: mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: in myself. So uh,
0: that's been yeah. important. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%. There is no no specific doctor for the father. And I, I, I wish that um, it were more prevalent with pediatricians um, to be looking in on the family. But you know, we, we have some serious, um, blind spots in our medical system, um, and difficulty with siloed care that, uh, you know, pediatricians are just for the baby, but, you know, in, in so many ways. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. There should be a broader reach and broader perspective in any, uh, pairing profession that, that interacts with a perinatal family not to be right. checking on the whole system. Yeah. Have you have you seen any anything that indicates we're moving in that direction? Oh, we definitely are.
1: We definitely are because um, uh, there are people like Dan Singley, Jane Honigman, David Levine, and, and a wonderful researcher, uh, Sheen um, Fisher, who is at a PSI meeting a couple of, he's been at several PSI
2: conferences mm-hmm. speaking about yeah.
1: research. You know, there's a whole group, there's a cadre yes. of, of wonderful researchers. Um, but back to silos, I mean, they're the psychiatrists and they're the, the um, medical, psych- they're the psychologists, they're, you know, they're the clinicians. and There's simply not enough men in mm-hmm.
0: the field. That's truly um, true. We, we
1: really, you know, uh, the, the big thing is we've got to be screening at, at men and women. And so mm-hmm. with this whole mandate thing, I'm, not, I'm anti-mandating because it makes it sound like it's only going to be the woman who should be screened. Mm-hmm. That's not true. And right. the screen in itself is so limited. And uh, David Levine likes to quote what Jane Honigman said to him.
2: <laughs> <when> <laughs> we
1: first met, I'd forgotten this. And he said, No, Jane, you said people lie. And yeah,
2: oh, yeah, right. for sure. Yep.
1: And so we have to have conversations again. And it's about be- being comfortable. Well, the obstetrician generally has not had behavioral health training. Psychiatrist doesn't know, have this opportunity to get into the wellness p- piece right. um, it's around. A, Developing families until there's an illness, so it's, we've got a really mixed up system. Unless we start talking during pregnancy, and I think mm-hmm. during pregnancy there's an opportunity to, you know, we call it education, um, but it's and people are want to know. But th- wouldn't it be wonderful if we had many more parent discussion groups going on during pregnancy? Mm-hmm. Um, that's an opportunity that I don't think we're
0: yeah. taking advantage of. No, absolutely. Um...
4: Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Feel like you're the martyr in your family. You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Bree, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down.
5: Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it
0: have been struggling with this what I think happens for a lot of people is that they I don't know, there's kind of um an assumption that things will be fine or that they don't need but I don't know, certain kinds of support or education before the baby comes. And then afterwards when there's an issue, they're you know, they feel a lot like, well, it would have been nice to know or I wish I'd known or, you know, I didn't know. And I have not yet <laughs> figured out how to bridge that gap to convince people that having uh, the education ahead of time, even if it doesn't happen to you, is is preventative and exactly. supportive. So. So,
1: so based on uh, Dan's and my book, we have developed a very simple little brochure that lists out the significant things that dads um, need to know and ask themselves. And it's um. available online for free. can be downloaded oh, at Parental Mental Health. And it's on our Facebook page, Parental Mental Health Factoring in Father's. These things are out there. We just need to get them out.
2: Right. Uh, We've written it,
1: but we have to get it out. I've also Mm -hmm. developed um, a training that is available. It's a four-hour in-depth interactive system of learning that's um, based on the book, based on Mm -hmm. all that I've learned from Dan, and gives people a time to actually think and have Activities. It's not lecture based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what people need action. Yeah, yeah, and I'd love to be able to get the word out that that's available through me. Um, And I did it. It's been piloted once Mm -hmm. um, in April in a virtual setting because of the pandemic still. But I would love to be invited to travel and again that we can get to people's communities and just say, look, hey, let's just sit down and have this. It can be done in an hour, but not as well as four hours, right. Um, right. but right. something like that. And certainly just engage in your own community. Yeah. yeah. The men. I mean, and the other thing is the problem we have faced all along, and it started when I started PEP, is we, when we need to be referred to a professional, where are they? Who are they?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and we 've done psi is fabulous in this regard, mm-hmm. however, if you look and count up the gender gap between right. how many are men and how mm-hmm. many are women mm-hmm. and who are seeing whom mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. we're not doing well at all Absolutely. So we need, in the, in the venue of because of pandemic and all this happened with mental health finally getting onto the front page, right. the lack yeah. of male therapists, and particularly those of color, mm-hmm. is glaring.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we, again, it's a pretty simple kind of thing. doesn't take a whole lot of training, but it does take an awareness first to start finding individuals who are willing to, to expand and say, no, I, I want to see expectant couples. I want to focus on the father. For I want to sure. factor sure. him in. So things like that. I think we could, you know, zip it up really fast if we just turned around and said, <laughs> okay, I'm a therapist and I I need to realize that I'm seeing the women, but mm-hmm. who's seeing mm-hmm. the fathers?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you a thousand percent that even if you're just meeting once, that's better than nothing. If you, you know, therapists out there who are meeting with someone who's pregnant at bring the father into the session, if, even if it's virtual, even if it's just to talk about like, oh, Things are going to shift and change, and how is everyone's needs going to be taken care of? It's absolutely essential, and it supports the the it supports birth, it supports postpartum um, for everybody. When when yeah. you can have those conversations, it, um,
1: it, it, it absolutely and one of the things that's in our book. And I had not heard of this organization, American Pregnancy Association. Are you aware that there's a group called American Pregnancy, Pregnancy Association? Association. Oh, and possibly. they have and they have put out a, an expectant couples list of checkoff points for the men. It's wonderful That's uh, really great. it's so it's it's in the book uh you can find it downloaded. in uh, the their association mm-hmm. um but it's under you know the, the realization that dads suffer too right. they really need support mm-hmm. and they needed support, and what we do now is we need the father to support the mother, and that's the wrong message, hundred percent, because it's not wrong. He, that's true, but he has been neglected he is and, and as uh, the movement is saying the forgotten parent is
0: mm-hmm. the father." Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's absolutely true. I, I really hope that people can can hear the, these points that you're driving home um, because it is, I, I think in some way there was such a, a, a fight and, a, and a, an effort to make sure that um, birthing person's needs are met, and, which is great. And so we're at a point where I, I think that's happening more and more, but it does also do a disservice to the whole system if everyone involved isn't isn't taken care of, um, and especially, you know, I think again for for the difference societally, anyways, if you're here in the U.S. is that sometimes men don't have other male friends that they can have conversations with, and whether they can talk about how they're really feeling, um, and it it can be hard for men out there who don't have those kinds of connections to to open up. Um, let alone figure out how to open up and who to open up to. But if, like you're saying, we supply the resource and put it into the discussion that this is available and possible and can be helpful, then more and more people will wake into the idea that they can talk about this. And with a a resource like you've provided, I think it's, I I don't know if you would call it a roadmap, but it's a a good resource, tangible, usable skills.
1: Exactly.
2: Yeah.
1: Absolutely that we can all be doing this better if we just cognizant of the use of the woman uh, that they are dominating the field and, and and being mindful that that's unkind and reflective of what we fought against when the men were excluding us. And mm-hmm. if you can put that in context of <laughs> um, we, we want to be best for. All of us, we can do it. We can do, in fact, we can do it right away. It be
2: mm-hmm.
1: in the old-fashioned world of the '60s. It was called consciousness raising.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think there has been, I don't know if if it's like a stereotype of you know the kind of not absent father, but the father who's present but not really helping. And there is a dynamic sometimes that I see for, for fathers who are trying to be engaged and wanting to be engaged, who kind of never feel like they're doing it right or, or doing enough is sometimes they just, they kind of retreat and, um, and back out. And then, uh, you know, the female partners are, get more and more frustrated yep, exactly. because it can feel really contentious. Um, and obviously if the, the mom or birthing person is a primary caregiver and the father or partner isn't around as much, yeah, they're not going to have as much practice or as much um, flow uh, into exactly. into their process. Um, but that doesn't mean they're incapable.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely right.
0: Yeah, so. it's quite a dynamic to, to try and, um, and, you know, help people through because it can, you know, when people are sleep deprived, it's really hard to be like, you know, taking care of each other's feelings when all you want to do is sleep. <laughs> exactly.
1: And it's back to um, during pregnancy,
2: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. ideally before conception. I mean, wouldn't it yeah. be fantastic?
2: Yes. Um,
1: yeah. And I think I say it's more of that. There's more consciously, let's get pregnant, but let's wait. And then let's, let's, what are we doing? And there's a lot, maybe there's too much thinking that goes into it. There's not, <laughs> maybe there's not enough spontaneity and you know, just leave things alone. Um, and in fact, they'll certainly don't go into this pathological mode mm-hmm. um, easily. Mm-hmm. You know, that tends to be a, a fallback because that's so sad. We, you know, we want to focus on wellness and doing well together and being happy and thrive and uh, we can and we are, the majority of people do not suffer from illness. And so we, again, if that's the case, we have resources. We need to make sure yeah. that it's available. And the other piece of that is accepting of help.
2: Right.
1: Um, right. That's not easy.
2: No. But if
1: you set it up during pregnancy, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps that, that can help as, as, as couples. You mm-hmm. can look out for each other's needs. But you can't do it alone. There should be extended family and friends around. Mm-hmm. Um, Back to, you know, people do have, men do have their clubs. They do have their social groups. They do have their their groups. It, there's no reason why they can't start talking about, and they probably they already are, because I know, <laughs> because I get these calls, and my uh, my husband, because of, of who we are in our community, there are people who know, um, isn't your wife, wasn't she involved <laughs> in Pep? Oh, well, my wife's not doing very well right now. Yeah. He will tell. That father tells my husband, who then yeah. tells me. And then I think, well, <laughs> there's Pep. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know?
1: And yeah, so it, we it, have that in our town. The question is
2: definitely.
1: really quite puzzling to me. Why isn't that the norm in every community? And when I started mm-hmm. Pet PSI, my personal mission was to create a postpartum parent support network in every community in the world. So mm-hmm. The key words are parent support.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and community-based peer-led voluntary Mm -hmm. so it's the norm it's part of the culture in Santa Barbara because it's been around so dang long
2: and it (laughs) doesn't cost
1: anything and people still come up to me and say oh Jane you saved my life well I didn't save anybody's life (laughs) it was the fact Mm -hmm. that we put a system in place
0: right right yeah yeah um but as as you know, in 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 the, in working in the field and with systems, it, it takes a little while sometimes. But your your persistence and your patience um, has started many things that have been useful for hundreds of thousands of people now.
2: Um, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's it's, wonderful, it's so it's, great. It's just so
1: gratifying and it's just mm-hmm. thrilling, and it's it's so much fun for me to still connect with. People, I love it, and I and yet I don't hear from people anymore. That's one of the things about growing older and
2: mm-hmm.
1: becoming emeritus mm-hmm. and being you know, not that you're pushed out, mm-hmm. um, it, but you. It's right to have a new generation come along.
2: Mm-hmm. It's correct
1: to let go. Your children need to leave the nest. You need to move on. But I'm still alive, and I like to emphasize that I'm still kicking and
2: kind of <laughs> anxious
1: to, to see things happen. Um, and applaud everybody who's doing whatever you're doing. I mean, I'm just thrilled. I'm just thrilled we've come so far. And we really have achieved mountains of progress. For sure. Um, Yeah, and this is like the last remaining thing. I cannot think, oh, except for the, I will end on this note
2: Mm -hmm.
1: um, that I happen to believe that the word postpartum means forever. Mm
2: -hmm. Once
1: you have decided to be, a nurturer of somebody else, you care through your lifetime.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm now a grandmother of eight. <laughs> I'm still postpartum. And yeah. people need to understand that means I really care about my family.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, it doesn't go away. And it's yeah. not negative. And that's the other piece that's so sad for me to think that the word, when we were so proud when we started PEP and used the word postpartum for the first time in the United States, it wasn't about depression. Right. No. It was about the time of life. And now at my age, I can say, it's, honey, it's still happening. I still care <laughs> about how my kids are having. And I hope I live to see great grandkids, although yeah. some of my granddaughters are not so keen on having children at all. So it's <laughs> going to be kind of funny to see what happens. Right. But that's my p- point is that this is long-term. This is an intergenerational. We yes. all care about each other. And this is a time in certainly our country's crossroads that we can all gather around and agree on. I don't think we need to be divided whatsoever. And if anybody wants to take issue with me, uh, give
2: me a call. I'd love to have a
1: conversation.
0: Oh my gosh. I would love to hear that conversation. Yeah. You try and fight this with Jane Honickman. Let's see what happens.
1: Well, you know, we do. You know that I do have a retreat set up in my home in Santa Barbara and it's called Postpartum Action Institute. And that's available so, Bennett and I still do that. That's
2: fantastic. And, uh,
1: people are welcome to come to Santa Barbara anytime and <laughs> hang out. It's a
0: It's a beautiful place to go. So it's not
1: bad. We've been <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. We can talk people into coming pretty easily. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Absolutely. So please do that.
1: It's an open invitation and, and and likewise I'd love to travel. So I'm waiting for the, my phone to start ringing and saying, "Oh yeah, why don't you come to us and we'll we'll have a
0: conversation about how we can make it even better oh fantastic thank you jane for all that you do and continue to do and your your passion and compassion is so clear i hope that you know the people who are listening to this can can feel that and use some of your energy to take this into their communities as well mm, thanks
1: kat well, I, I appreciate you so much and for all our listeners for everything people are doing it's it's a good time to be alive
0: that's sure, how i want to sure. end it Sure is. Thank you, Jane. Thank you. If you'd like to get connected with Jane, go to at parental underscore health on both Instagram and Twitter, or look on the website, factoringinfathers.com. Thank you all for listening and sharing this podcast with people who can really benefit from this information. And as we keep working, it's imperative that we continue to spread the word and share our stories and involve all parents in the process to parenthood. Thanks so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com.